0: I went to a marvelous party. Max, most people don't even know the know pages, facts. The underlying they go with their ideas gut and don't have enough depth to last for entire season. <laughs> Christopher, this is only going to work if we speak one at a time.
1: Fine, you first, Eric. <laughs>
0: Tonight's live cast is streaming to you through the dinnerpartyshow.com with your hosts New York Times best-selling novelist Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Ho, 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 ho. Ho, ho, ho. Well, I think we should start out with a little disclaimer. We're not quite as live as we usually are. The episode is airing for the first time this Sunday, but we're not... Quite here in the studio. Gobble, 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 gobble. (laughs) Christopher is totally into the holiday spirit here. And we are because it's been two whole weeks since the show went on the air. We're Mm -hmm. having a greatest hit show. We've collected all of our finest and most memorable clips and Mm -hmm. correspondent episodes from all of our previous two episodes into one giant first annual dinner party show Thanksgiving leftovers
1: special. If Sophia, Dorothy and Blanche could do it around the kitchen table every few weeks or so,
0: so can we. Right? right? We just won't do that weird editing thing where we slide Remember back in time. that time? <laughs> Remember that time two weeks ago where we did
1: that skit we're about to play again? Remember that? Remember that? Okay, I'm sure everybody out there is very excited about the holidays. and you know, I certainly yeah, am. I know. You have been coming to the studio covered in glitter that is apparently coming off of the wrapping paper that you have used to already finish wrapping all of the presents that you are already finished buying for everyone because you are a Christmas overachiever. I've already shipped all of
0: my presents. My
1: God. (laughs) And then we're going to roll right into greater Christmasville for our listeners who don't know what that is. That is Eric's unbelievably sprawling Christmas village that he
0: sets up in his apartment every year. I believe it. It's very believable. Oh, I am God. the mayor of Greater Christmasville, and there are mayor. already people out there who are asking me about, Is are we doing Greater Christmasville again this year? And yes, we'll be on the air, we'll be doing the show, but there will be a Greater Christmasville, Virginia.
1: And I will be trying to have my own unique experience of the Christmas season, somewhat divorced from Eric's persistent merriment and... I will, I, you're a Christmas overachiever, Eric. I'm sorry. It's, it's, you make the rest of us feel like we're doing it wrong. I well, feel like that kid... Who it's was it? what I live for. I'm the fag who does everything better you than you. You really are. <laughs> I can't even find Kwanzaa wrapping paper anywhere. They're all sold out. You know, um, there was a point in time where you were receiving a component of your Christmas village. It felt like once a month. I know you're going to dispute that figure, but well, it felt like once a month I some used new... To be,
0: there used to be um, Christmas in New York... The Christmas Victorian Village, the Wonderful Life Village, and then there was one other village. I can't remember which one it was. And now it's just pared down to just Victorian Christmas Village. So I'm actually back, I've dialed it back to about, oh, it was Mistletoe Mountain. That was the other one. There's a mountain. See, there's a mountain in his Christmas Village. There's a ski loft. Anyway, it's it's all about making the Christmas spirit happen.
1: I know, but I am dreading Christmas again this year. I dread Christmas every year because I feel like I'm not going to do as good a job of it as you do, Eric Sharquin. Well, I think that maybe
0: it's time for you to get in touch with your spiritual side, Christopher. Mm. And I think that that the as with any Thanksgiving dinner party, the best way to start is with that sort of evocation of the spiritual moment. And so, from our greatest hits, here is Reverend Elroy Bean and tonight's oh, provocation ho ho. ho, ho. <laughs> Tonight's
1: dinner party provocation will be provided by the Right Reverend L. Roy Bean of the Church of the Sacred Eternal Damnation. Dear Lord,
0: look down on us here tonight at this God-forsaken table. We beg your infinite mercy for these two lost sinners and their misguided guests. Forgive their snide jokes and their irreverent disregard for the true beliefs held by most good and decent people, none of whom are probably listening to this show anyway. We thank you, God, for revealing yourself to those of us who drink your blood and eat your flesh and are forgiven. Help those who do not believe as we do to see the light and find salvation that they might escape their eternity in a lake of fire as just punishment for disagreeing with us about how we think they should behave. Let your love show these hopeless and unnatural abominations the righteous path, lest they be cast into the pit for being different than what we think is normal. Amen.
1: TDPS News takes you live to Breck Artery, who is standing by at the abandoned
0: site of the Mitt Romney victory celebration. This is Breck Artery, coming to you live from the ballroom at the Midtown Marriott in Boston, Massachusetts, where the Mitt Romney victory celebration would have taken place had there been one. Partially deflated balloons remain in sagging bags hanging from the ceiling here, and Romney campaign organizers remain baffled. The fact that their candidate's message of intolerance, his promised rollback of women's and pretty much everyone else's rights, The prospect of cannibalized Medicare and Social Security, the gutting of all federal programs designed to help anyone other than anyone who doesn't actually need help from the federal government, a return to the catastrophic economic policies of the Bush administration, and a more sensitive approach to the parental rights of rapists didn't sweep the governor into office has stunned those connected to the campaign. Said one supporter, We paid good money for this presidency, What is this country coming to when $22 billion worth of vicious and untrue advertising cannot buy you the minds and souls of Americans? Clearly, there is still work to be done on the systematic dismantling of public education in this country if people are still thinking for themselves." The Romney strategy of simply saying whatever people he happened to be speaking to at the moment wanted to hear didn't pay off as it has since the technique was pioneered by legendary liar Ronald Reagan during his eight years of economy-destroying victory. There are even unsubstantiated rumors in the political community that some candidates are considering the truth, or at least reality-based fact, as a possible component of future campaigning. But the ugly specters of integrity and conviction are of little consolation to the defeated Romney camp, who consistently refused to provide any verifiable details of any policy they might conceivably have implemented once in office, while they blurred any sense of reality with their assurances of rosy results from their non-existent policies. Clearly, they told us what they thought we wanted to hear, but without the skill of a trained actor like former President Reagan, we just didn't buy it. What's needed here seems to be either an actual viable plan for governing the wealthiest and most powerful country in the history of the world, or someone who's a better storyteller so that the electorate is willing to believe the myths and fairy tales that candidates have been running on for years. We as Americans want to believe that we can live the lavish and fantastic lives that we saw in the movies or on television somewhere without that pesky encumbrance of consequence and responsibility, and most of all, without having to pay for anything ever. So then, the failure of the Romney campaign isn't so much a political failure as it is simply a failure to convince us there is no monster under the bed and that by making old rich white guys even richer that all our lives will be better and the future brighter for everyone. On the plus side, Paul Ryan now has four years to bury everything he's ever believed in the hope that he can shape himself into the perfect beard for his billionaire masters disguised as the tax-free savior of the very policies and programs he's been working to dismantle since he arrived in Washington shortly after graduating from high school. He can go to a good acting class. He can practice and refine his storytelling and his myths. He can work on those rock-hard abs and just wear a speedo to debates and campaign events. Or, perhaps, he can just grow a pair and run on what he really believes and plans to do. He might not win, but it's a cinch that he'll feel better about himself than Governor Romney or Senator McCain. This is Breck Artery saying good night and good dinner. Are you tired
1: of stories on the nightly news that ask you to examine the consequences of your own behavior? Are you tired of newscasts that focus too much on who isn't paying their fair share of taxes or who needs to recycle more? Do you just have days when you're so exhausted from spending your workday on Facebook that you just can't handle a bunch of good-looking TV people asking you to be a better person than you really are? isn't it time you got to enjoy and learn from a newscast that focuses entirely on the bad behavior of people who don't look at all like you well master then it's time to call your cable provider and sign up for rnn the racist news network bringing you 24-hour reasons to blame your problems on people whose accents you can't understand Wherever news is happening, we'll be there to catch every racial stereotype before it falls through the cracks. Was a major auto accident in Los Angeles caused by an Asian driver? We'll be there with live team coverage to get reactions from all the bystanders who lost a relative in the Korean war. Did a black man in Philadelphia just buy a watermelon and get defensive about it? We'll be there to interview the white checkout lady he verbally abused. When political elites take a perfectly innocuous use of the N-word out of context, we'll be there to show you the proper use of racial epithets. And in order to ensure fair and balanced coverage, we'll bring you our ongoing series, Profiles in Courage. A salute to mild-mannered members of racial minorities who don't make us uncomfortable. The Racist News Network. Call your cable provider today and keep pressing 1 for English. And now it's time for astrological advice from Twan, Queen of the Stars.
0: Hey, Twan, Queen of the Stars here with the real dirt on what the constellations are up to and how you can read the signs before they read you. Mm Mm-hmm, you heard me, Taurus. This week, the stars are all over the place. With Mercury in retrograde and Leo's conjunctionitis, that's right, Leo, you'll hardly know which way is up or what's coming or going until later in the week with the calming influence of the full moon. Unless you are Miss Sagittarius, who cannot seem to think about anybody but herself. It might be Cancer's birthday, but don't count on Sagittarius remembering... Or so much as bringing a card if she does deign to show up at the party that Pisces knocked himself out planning. You might think that being a sign of action and change that Sagittarius would be able to show up for something besides herself. But you would be confusing her with Virgo who is a much bigger help with Cancer's birthday party even though Virgo hardly even knows Cancer. So if you're all higgly piggly this week while you're waiting for Mercury to settle his ass down... Look to Virgo for a little balance or Cancer to be a good friend, because you sure can't count on Miss It's All About Me Sagittarius when the eclipses are down. As a constellation for the rest of the zodiac who bothered to grow up, at least we'll all have somebody to blame it on. Think about it, Sag. Till next time, this is Twan reminding you to watch out for the stars. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show's first annual Thanksgiving Leftovers special. We're thankful that you're listening in. And that after two grueling weeks on the air, we're finally getting some well-earned rest. Happy Leftovers. And now, in keeping with The Dinner Party Show's tradition of celebrating literacy and the written word, We bring you an excerpt from one of this week's best-selling audiobook titles, the latest release from multiple Edgar Award-winning mystery writer Edward Lee Hopkins' Bruce Feather. The Los Angeles Review of Books describes Bruce Feather as a cross between Cormac McCarthy and that uncle you can never get to stop talking about Vietnam. His latest book is called The Ever-Breaking Heart of the Fallen Angels. It's his 19th novel, featuring Jimmy Asaker.
1: I awoke to the sight of lions tearing the flesh from a gazelle. I watched in horror as the gazelle's blood flowed, red and unstoppable as a baby's insides. The lion's eyes a-twinkle with primal ferocity and raw appetite, delighted in the gnashing of flesh and bone which they had initiated in the morning light of a forsaken dawn. I was powerless to stop them powerless once again to stop the slaughter, just as I had been powerless to stop the murder of Suzelle Latrell a week before. But I couldn't tear my eyes away from the hot red commerce of death and destruction, which often led me to commit acts of inexplicable, plot-advancing violence against my adversaries. Then my wife walked in and changed the channel to the Today Show. I never saw what happened to the gazelle, but I'm pretty sure it was toast. You gotta ride and give me some milk, Jimmy Assacre. I couldn't bring myself to tell my wife that the side of milk's inexorable white flow always reminded me of a man named Hyatt Dirt Dauber, who I'd shot through the heart with an Apache crossbow when I caught him fornicating with a young prostitute girl whose parents had been trampled by wild elk when she was five years old. Hyatt was a sick bastard who liked to drink milk while he had sex with young prostitutes.
2: Are you going to get me some milk or not, Jimmy?
1: I agreed to my wife's intrusive request, if only because it allowed me to walk for several blocks focusing on every atrocity I had ever witnessed or heard tell of in my lifetime. But eventually, my thoughts of the Titanic and the Jonestown Massacre coalesced around an image of Suzelle Luttrell that had run in our local paper the week before. She was a sweet, pretty girl as all murdered girls are. Before her death, she had been stripped naked and her clothes had been strung from telephone lines all over town before being set aflame by her killer in five different locations. Her only son was missing, presumably sold into white slavery, and someone had released wild dogs into her home where they had urinated over every inch of her small, humble house before someone had driven a Mack truck through it. It was a hell of a lot of trouble to go through to kill a girl who worked the counter at Walgreens, but the police didn't have any leads. They only really cared about all the burning clothes on telephone lines because that had shut down a few roads and people in small towns hate that. I tried to focus on what I knew about Suzelle as I walked to the grocery store but the sounds of passing cars were like fallen angels being dragged behind trucks by chains through forests of stinging nettles while trained seals barked nearby because they were getting tased by a Nazi stormtrooper. Suzelle Luttrell, sweet, innocent, now her son was missing, her house a ruin that smelled of dog urine and diesel fuel, and my tired behind was going to the grocery store to get some milk because my wife didn't want to hear me complain about another terrible hangover. In the grocery store, I began to weep uncontrollably at the sight of a little girl who would have looked just like Suzelle Luttrell if she'd been five feet taller and about ten years older and had corn silk blonde hair instead of short brown hair and a page boy cut still the time it took me to weep was also the time i needed to remember where the milk was i was wandering down the aisle in the direction of where i thought the milk should be when i felt movement on the back of my neck i spun on my attacker images of tracer fire and jungle fields bathed in agent orange lit up my vision Even though I'm 65 and subsist entirely on a diet of chili con carne and Jack Daniels, I used several jujitsu moves to land my attacker flat on his back on a pile of canned peas. I saw, to my shame, that it was one of the checkout kids, fresh-faced and innocent and obviously eager to find out if this old man had been lost. I almost apologized before I realized it had been almost half a chapter before I'd done something rash and reckless as a result of a flashback to Vietnam. And so I continued on, weeping to find the milk.
0: Are you tired of all those fancy frou-frou candles that make your home smell like some weird place that Europeans might visit? Tired of scented candles with hard-to-pronounce names and flowers you've never heard of as their base fragrance? Well, the folks at Arresting Home Aroma- Aromatics. Aromatics have finally come up with a solution for you. Their new Heartland Candles line. Cheryl and I had some friends
1: over the other night for a BBQ and, well, we'd forgotten to prepare anything for a side dish. So we lit one of them Frito Pie candles and it was just like everyone had had a side dish after all.
2: I'm not much for strong perfumes, but I do love to garden. And that's why my favorite of the Heartland Candles is rake. It smells just like grass. The legal kind, not the smoking and making you walk out on your kids' kinds.
0: Subtle, unassuming, of the home, not French. These are just a few of the superlatives customers have piled on our Heartland Candles. Some of our intoxicating scents include Ego Breakfast, New Baby Smell, Double Wide Breeze, Strawberry Daiquiri, With Mint, Chimney, Downtown Atlanta, Black Lady, Motorcycle, Sarah Palin, and Tanqueray. We invite you to go home again without ever leaving your home to begin with. Whether or not you aim to stoke the flames of a romantic evening with our fancy coconut sunscreen tea candles or just cover up the smell of a dead rat in your wall with one of our industrial strength propane springs pillars, light a heartland candle tonight and let the smells of your life light up everyone else's. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show's first annual Thanksgiving leftover special. Aren't you
1: thankful we finally stopped talking about it and put the damn show on the air? The Dinner Party Show. With
0: Christopher Rice. And Eric Shaw Quinn. So much to be thankful for. As we've talked about previously here on The Dinner Party Show, it won't just be Christopher and me entertaining you every Sunday evening. We'll also have guests like Miss Jonelle Sams, our relationship consultant, Tuan, our astrological guide. And now, with a look at cultural happenings in Los Angeles and beyond, The Dinner Party Show would There's like no to... There's
2: no dinner here. It's just circuit boards and microphones and stuff.
0: What are you doing here, Jordan? Hi,
2: I'm the large critic, which is funny because I'm 5'5". Five five.
0: <laughs> no. You? Are the critic at large? No one discussed this with me.
2: He said you would be really happy to see me because you haven't seen me since I came to that party at your house.
0: Yeah, the one where you spit your gum in my deep fryer.
2: I thought you were cleaning out a trash can or something. And besides, you wouldn't listen. Deep fried gum would make a totally fun dessert.
0: Not your deep fried gum, seriously. I don't think I could do this with you, Jordan.
2: Well, hi. You don't actually have to do it because I'm going to be the critic at large.
0: This is actually my show.
2: Um, it's not just your show. Your co-host told me that I could do this. Okay.
0: All right, Jordan. Why don't you introduce yourself to the audience so they can take this time to reorganize their sock drawers.
2: okay Hi, audience. My name is Jordan Ampersand. And if you're putting my name in print, my last name is to be written like the and sign that you see on the sign in front of the bail bonds place when more than one person owns it. And I don't know a lot about posting bail, but I did get arrested at the Abbey once because this reality show skank got up in my face about my oh. ironic Casey Anthony airbrush halter top. And I told her, like, you need to step off. Are these merchants? know cherries are going to be your earrings
0: and she like wouldn't so I okay, did okay 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 pardon Bish me, jordan, got me pardon jordan 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 i'm a little taken aback by the your use of the term reality show skank why well I don't claim to be an expert on your past, Jordan, but given what I do know about you, you're no stranger to reality television.
2: Okay, seriously, this is like the porn rumor. Like, I never did any porn. I did some light swimsuit modeling when I first got to L.A. and I right. haven't been on like all these reality uh-huh. shows. I've only been on like four or five and the only ones I can oh, remember are Child Smash and Sword Catch. <gasps> and I got really badly injured on one, which makes this a, this a subject for me because I signed this big release before I went on both shows and said the The only way I could sue would be if the producers knowingly and willfully ran over my head with a truck.
0: And they decided not to? You need to be nicer to
2: me if I'm going to be on your show.
0: You need to not begin sentences to me with the word... Need All right, Jordan? Uh, can
2: I go back to talking about myself if now?
0: that's ever been a problem Thank
2: for you. Thank you. Okay. Three years ago, I sold everything I owned and came out to Los Angeles to fulfill my lifelong dream of having sex with guys who have been on TV at some point. And I'm happy to say I've already achieved that dream a whole uh, bunch. A whole bunch. So now I have lunch a lot and I get fired from stores that don't understand my message.
0: What, pray tell, is your message, Jordan? Be
2: free and fierce and use a credit card that has a rewards points program because you'll get cool shit.
0: You're the Voltaire of Robertson Boulevard. I'm not really into drag queens. Or reading.
2: That's crap! I totally read Twilight. It's beautiful and made me want to have sex with werewolves.
0: Well, it's a good thing we're not putting you in charge of the book club then, huh? No,
2: I just go see movies, right?
0: No, Jordan, you have to do more than that.
2: Whatever, I'm the critic. Remember, critics go see movies and get all kinds of toed up about the bad ones.
0: No, critics do not just go see movies. Every field of artistic expression has its own critics. Jordan ampersand. Theater, visual arts, architecture.
2: Puppet shows, graffiti, tattoo sleeves.
0: Oh, okay. Is this a job you're actually going to be able to do or do the three of us need to have a conversation about responsibilities and priorities?
2: I worked at the Coffee Bean for a week. I understand responsibility.
0: Okay, Jordan.
2: I get it, whatever. I'll go watch all kinds of crappy things that aren't movies and then come here each week and talk
0: about them with you. And try not to be drunk. I
2: don't get drunk in public. For the
0: last time, Jordan, bars are considered to be in public. Ugh, this again. Well, there you have it, folks. Jordan Ampersand, the dinner party show's own critic at large. Can't wait to see how long this lasts.
1: Christopher! Christopher! <laughs>
0: She was a very pretty young woman no one found attractive.
1: You might as well learn to type, because despite the fact that you were the most attractive person in this movie, you ain't never going to get you a husband.
0: Oh, Mom. He was just a regular guy who was really, really beautiful, even though he did absolutely nothing to earn the rippling abs and the artfully frosted hair in his rugged and thankless but heroic profession that no one but she appreciated. I
1: appreciate you. Let's eat another pizza and drink some more beer, even
0: though both of us are clearly underweight and haven't eaten anything like this in years. Together, they're exactly the couple you'll pay $15 to see them become, while they completely warp your sense of love, romance, and your vaguest grip on reality. Go away. I'm not sure what I want, and so I'm just going to throw you away without even asking how you really feel.
1: I'll wait patiently while you behave like a premenstrual 13-year-old, and then I'll say something completely improbable like, you complete me, after I do some ridiculously unlikely romantic thing to convince you that you should give me a chance, even though I'm prettier than you and such a catch, even straight men would probably accept my
0: marriage proposal. Theirs was a predictable romance that everyone saw coming, except the untalented studio hacks who keep greenlighting the same unmarketable warmed-over romantic crap that's been bombing at the box office for years. You complete me. A skywriter spelling out the first thing I ever said to you. Why would you do that after the way I've treated you? I have no idea. And neither will you when you see this most recent version of the same romantic comedy that we've been remaking since Billy Crystal was still young enough to be a romantic lead and you didn't hate Meg Ryan. I have no idea. Movie critics are calling the feel-good movie of 1985. Why did they make the same movie again this year? I have no idea. Coming to a theater near you. How did we get so lucky? I have no idea. Here once again to teach us how the power of free expression can be used to destroy ideas she finds personally threatening, it's our Bay Area culture critic, Buzz Kilton.
1: Good evening. I'm Buzz Kilton, and this is the Dinner Party Show's Bay Area Culture Report. Recently, I spent several months on the Navajo reservation where I managed to negotiate a lasting truce between several of the tribe's members and the management of the Quickies liquor store on Highway 16. When I returned to my home in Berkeley, my partner, Shahini, convinced me that it was finally time to introduce our daughter, Jamaica Hisu, to that most complex and potentially mind-altering institution of American culture television. Jamaica is certainly our pride and joy. We treasure her as we would treasure the first spreading leaves of our winter boar kale plants. By giving her two different names from antipodocultural environments, we have stripped her of the potential ethnic confusion that may arise one day when she learns that we adopted her from a mother who tried to shoot her when she accidentally uncovered her stash of Iraq cocaine. Banning television, as well as all other forms of entertainment that don't involve our loom, has helped us to inure Jamaica, he sue, from the pernicious influence of patriarchal culture, as well as painful memories of a mother she remembers only as bang, bang, bang. So it was, with some trepidation, that I yielded to my loving life partner's request. "'We spent time searching for the right television program with which to introduce Jamaica to this troubling medium. Seven months later, we settled on a show entitled, I, Carly. "'Initially, I was concerned that the little I and the lack of a space before Carly meant that the young woman in question was either a robot or composed of just enough electronic components to allow her male captors to trade and sell her at will. Show Heine assured me that the title's strange spelling and lack of capitalization was an allusion to the fact that the character in question had her own non-pornographic internet-based show. The title of the episode we viewed was Carly's Got a Hot Room. I found the choice of words here to be distressing and that they raised a certain level of sexual ambiguity around a program being marketed to young viewers. And while Carly is certainly a major character, the episode centered largely around the antics of her older brother Spencer, who seemed to have no gainful employment or creative outlet of any kind, yet spends an inappropriate amount of time with younger children. Also, Spencer's inability to express himself with anything besides large cartoonish gestures or loud exclamations of silly, nonsensical catchphrases suggested a propensity for imminent violence, possibly sexual in nature. I attempted to engage in some in-process decoding for Jamaica, but by then she was too busy clapping her tiny hands and laughing while Spencer presented Carly's friends with the secret gift he had made for her birthday, a lamp fashioned entirely out of gummy bears. The lamp was placed in Carly's room as a surprise, and within minutes her room was ablaze, as indicated by weak puffs of smoke generated at the top of the set's single staircase, smoke which sent the entire cast hurtling down the steps without any apparent knowledge of or regard for proper fire evacuation procedure. So Heine and I were both furious, that the environmental impact of this fire was not explored in any way. Rather, the remainder of the episode focused entirely on the catastrophic damage done to one teenager's crass temple of materialism and consumption. When an unexpected insurance check allows Spencer and Carly's friends to redo her entire room in the span of several hours, an absurd conceit even for an alleged children's show the true and terrible meaning of the words Carly's got a hot room become distressingly clear. What aspect of Carly's room receives the most time and attention during this frenzied renovation? Was it green technology or, God forbid, a fire escape? No! It was Carly's makeup table! Kudos to the producers and writers of iCarly for sending the message to young girls everywhere that they should spend their time painting their faces like dolls so that their patriarchal oppressors may take pleasure in their physical appearances before they incinerate them. As is usually our custom when we expose Jamaica Hisu to popular culture, Shahini and I spent the next several hours using feeling sketches and creative movement to decode the barely sublimated messages of misogynistic hatred found throughout this episode of iCarly. We invite you to join our conversation and share in our beliefs at the Dinner Party Show's Facebook page. Next time, I'll return with a step-by-step guide to creating celebratory, non-offensive, multicultural, stand-up comedy. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show's first annual Thanksgiving Leftovers Special. Leftover turkey
0: can be used to soak up grease stains in your driveway. Yet
1: another reason why no one has asked Eric to cook again this Thanksgiving.
0: The Dinner Party Show. With Christopher Rice. And Eric Shaw Quinn.
1: Dry wit. And drier turkey.
0: Is your dessert missing a certain smug satisfaction? Do you feel superior because you're getting dessert while others must do without? Or are you just eating your cake and ice cream judgment-free? Well, your worries are here at last. You can have your cake, and mine too, with new schadenfreude ice cream. It's the unjust dessert that offers you the hollow satisfaction you love and the empty calories you crave. Each yummy mouthful is filled with rich, delicious satisfactoids, the very same chemical your brain produces when you watch the expression on the face of a hateful conservative politician's haughty wife While he confesses to buggering his page and best friend's son while sponsoring anti-gay legislation. Luxuriate and decadent flavors like glass strawberry, hard rocky road, and humbleberry pie. Why just have dessert when you can feel better about your crappy life? Every tasty bowl of schadenfreude will make you feel just like you're looking down on someone you've always secretly wished ill. Schadenfreude ice cream. Finally, the unjust dessert that offers you true satisfaction. And now, since it's called The Dinner Party Show, it's time for the most unavoidable part. Chris and Eric in the kitchen.
1: Hi, welcome to The Dinner Party Show Kitchen. So
0: that's what this room is.
1: Every successful dinner party has three key ingredients. First, great guests. That's you at home. Yes, thanks for tuning in. Second, great setting here at the Lavish Dinner Party Studios on the Mm world-famous Sunset Strip in West Hollywood, California. Yeah,
0: you can almost see the strip club from here.
1: And third, great food. Now, I don't know what you're having at home, but we want to help you make it a special occasion by sharing some of our own secret recipes. Like what? Well, this week, Eric Shaw. Quinn is going to tell us how to make one of my favorites, beef wellington.
0: Uh, Yeah, about that.
1: Okay, Eric, we are ready. What sort of ingredients should we pick up at the grocery store?
0: Well, you'll need some beef and a large Wellington. A what? Well, you might not need a large one. I mean, it depends on how many guests you're having. A large Wellington? Well, depending on the size of your dinner party. And Eric,
1: do you have any idea how to make beef Wellington?
0: I'm not sure how to turn the stove on.
1: But you were supposed to present the first recipe.
0: Because you don't know how to make ice cubes. Look, I had
1: other things to do.
0: Well, I've been busy too.
1: How long did it take you to not prepare for this segment? It
0: was surprisingly more time-consuming than you might think.
1: So you're telling me you've done nothing to prepare for today's cooking segment?
0: Well, really, who's going to know? I mean, it's the radio, for God's sake.
1: I'm sure no one suspects a thing. Well, now,
0: but if you just played along. A large Wellington, really? Depending on how many guests
1: you're having. Stop saying that
0: well how else would you determine stop exa- it Okay, so maybe Beef Wellington is just too ambitious. Maybe we should start smaller, something manageable, something we actually know how to make.
1: Like what? Reservations? Exactly. So on our first cooking segment, we're going to tell people how to make reservations.
0: Using a large, ungreased phone, Oh my god. dial in the number of your favorite restaurant okay. at least two to three hours or days before your guests arrive, depending on how popular your favorite restaurant is. Eric. Speak in a clear voice and tell them the time and date of your party. Be sure to make certain of the number of guests
1: That is not a recipe.
0: You'd have starved to death without it. Still. Okay, clearly, what we need for a cooking segment is a cook. You can cook eight things. That's cooking. Two of the things are eggs and toast. Still cooking. Well, you know how to make French toast. I do. And chicken. It was like you discovered penicillin when you learned how to bake chicken. I make very good chicken. So why don't you tell everyone at home tonight how to make chicken and French toast? It's
1: not the same thing. Why not? It's like telling people how to make ice cubes, which I do know how to make, by the way. People Mm -hmm. want to know how to make something special, something they don't already
0: know. Using a large ungreased phone. Not reservation. It's a really special restaurant. Not the same. Okay, so here's an idea. What if we ask people who actually know how to
1: cook? Do we know anyone who knows how to cook? Well, not people we know. The segment is called Chris. And Eric in the kitchen.
0: Maybe it should be called Chris and Eric argue in the kitchen. Something else we know how to make. What? An argument. I've got it. We'll call the segment Someone's in the Kitchen with Chris and Eric. Didn't Dinah Shore
1: already do that one? Okay.
0: How about Who's in the Kitchen?
1: Or Did You Hear a Noise? Or First
0: You Get a Large Wellington. Okay, so that's where we came in. Or... What are Chris and Eric doing in the kitchen?
1: All right, so join us next time or not for insert name of the Dinner Party Show cooking segment here.
0: You bring the dinner,
1: we'll bring the party. And to large
0: Wellington. This has been an as-yet-untitled cooking feature of the Dinner Party Show. For tonight's recipe, check out thedinnerpartyshow.com for links to people who actually know how to cook, should we ever meet any of them. I know how to make cookies.
1: Great, but still not dinner. Ugh.
0: Are the stresses of everyday living too much for you? Have you lost the zest and excitement for life that you once had? Do you find it hard to get out of bed in the morning, get through even the simplest tasks? Well, get in line, that's right. We're talking to you. We're sick and tired of your constant whining about every tiny thing. Frankly, we're a little amazed that you have come to believe that your life could or even should be devoid of any bad days, worry, or even a little good old-fashioned dread. If you're sick, you should be cared for. If voices are telling you that your mother has an alien living in her head and you should pour vinegar in her ear until you drown it, well, God bless and take your Thorazine. But if you just don't feel like you did when you were horny stoned and 15 years old without a care in the world, well, we think you should grow the fuck up. Who knows? Maybe there'd already be a cure for the cold and cancer if the drug companies weren't spending all their time and effort trying to insulate you from reality. So the next time you feel the urge to tell your friends, family, or anyone who'll listen about how you're not in touch with your joy, Stick your hand down the front of your pants and leave the rest of us out of it.
1: You're listening to The Dinner Party Show's first annual Thanksgiving Leftovers special.
0: As we begin this festive time of year, it's easy to get lost in the hustle and bustle of the holiday season. To get lost in the details and forget the true meaning of the holidays. What is the true meaning of the holidays, Christopher? I thought you knew. So it's not getting lost in the hustle and bustle, the shopping, the decorating, the gifts, the parties? I don't think so, no. Well, that's a bummer. I really like all that stuff. <sighs> the dinner party show with
1: Christopher Rice. And Eric
0: Shaw Quinn.
1: We'll get back to you on that whole true meaning of the holidays thing. Mm. It's time once again for The Dinner Party Show's Homemade Relationship Advice with Jonelle
0: Sams. Hi, I'm Jonelle Sams. This week, we're answering our first relationship question from a Dinner Party Show listener. If you have a relationship question, you can send it to me, Care of the Dinner Party Show's Facebook fan page, or at Jonelle at the DinnerPartyShow.com. This week's listener writes to me from Atlanta, Georgia.
3: Hmm.
0: My husband of 22 years, Merle Sams, and his best friend in the whole world, Olson Lee Pugh, just love Atlanta. Too big and noisy for me, but those two just cannot get enough. They tell me they could practically camp out in Piedmont Park there if the police would let them. Anyhow, our Atlanta listener writes, Dear Joe Nell, my husband lost his job recently mm I am sorry to hear that. This bad economy has taken a toll on us all. Why, Merle's barber salon has had to lay off Manuel, the little Latin boy who used to sweep up and such like around the place. He's been staying at Lee Pew's, doing odd jobs and such like for the both of them. Apparently, it's working out well for Manuel and Merle, and Olson couldn't be happier. Manuel was by here just the other day, dropping off some clothes of Merle's that I guess Merle paid him to launder, Always finding work for that poor boy. So me and Manuel got to talking over a little sweet tea, and Manuel said that Merlin Olsen were about to wear him out, that both of them were working him hard, 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 sometimes both at the same time. Well, we can't all be as lucky as Manuel, and I'm sorry to hear about your husband, too, Atlanta listener. Anyhow, she goes on Since losing his job, my husband has lost interest in life. He does his best to keep at it and is out most every day looking for work, but the rejection and lack of opportunity have been taking their toll. When he's not looking for work, he's either in front of the TV or asleep on the sofa. We haven't so much as slept in the same bed in the months since he was laid off, and I blush to tell you there is no romance in our lives. I've tried my best to support him, but my spirits are beginning to slip too. Jonelle, what should I do? Signed, Sleeping Single in the Double Bed. Uh Uh-huh. Well, your letter has really hit home with me, Single. I can see what I think you might be missing. What you need are separate bedrooms. When we first got married, Merle hardly ever slept with me in the same bed. It worried me, and I fretted, and then one day, it hit me. It wasn't that he wasn't sleeping with me that was worrying me. It was not knowing. Like that second shoe, I just kept waiting on him. Was he coming? Was he not? It was keeping me up. Well, single, what I did was I turned my sewing room into my room. That way, when Merle had been down to the rodeo or a baseball game and came home all in the mood, well, it was a nice surprise when he came a-knocking at my door. But when he didn't... I didn't miss him, because I wasn't expecting him. And single, let me tell you, if you're looking for a little romance, just wait till his best friend is sick or out of town. I tell you, Merle gets like a newlywed when that Olsen isn't around wearing him out. So, if you're like sleeping single in Atlanta, and you're spending your nights waiting for your man to get next to you, the problem may be your expectations. I've found that I'm a lot happier in my marriage if I don't expect anything at all. Till next time, I'm Jonelle Sams with homemade Relationship Advice. If you have relationship
1: questions, write to Jonelle Care of the Dinner Party Show Facebook page or to
0: jonelle at thedinnerpartyshow.com. And if you're in Atlanta, say hello to Merlin Olson for me if you see him.
1: TV's got no shortage of tough, smart detectives willing to give their all to each and every case that comes across their desk. But never before have you encountered a detective this determined, this persistent, and this dedicated to himself. This fall, TDPS Networks brings you The Opportunist. There's no crime scene he can't work into an opportunity for
0: himself. Oh my god, I can't believe this is happening to us! Who would want to shoot my husband in broad daylight?
1: While he was mowing the lawn?
0: (gasps) I know, he mowed the lawn every morning.
1: Any reason why?
0: He liked the lawn to look... (laughs) I don't know.
1: No, no, I, I mean like any reason he didn't use a company, or did he use one in
0: the past? I... I can't remember. Ah,
1: bummer. Cause I've been using the same landscaping service for like three years now. And I think one of the guys has his eye on my wife. So I thought if maybe you guys had someone you worked with in the past, I could get their number. Why are
0: we talking about this?
1: Some detectives use their brains, others use their fists. We don't know what the ones on NBC use because their shows get canceled too quickly. But until now, no detective in TV history has shown this level of dedication to his own mundane, everyday
0: needs. This is huge. Now that we have the results of the DNA, they're an exact match with the building manager at the first victim's apartment building. We have found the Toluca Lake Killer. Ooh. To Luca Lake, huh? Yeah, that's where Linus O'Grady, the killer, lives. Let's go get him.
1: Yeah, that's like a 30-minute drive right now with traffic. And I told Connie I would pick her up from Brendan's school so we could get these new sheets she found over at the Pacific Design Center. So I might actually go now.
0: That's what I'm saying. Let's go get him now.
1: No, I'm actually gonna go get Connie so we can go to the Pacific Design Center. You go to Toluca Lake and get this killer guy, and we'll just call it
0: a day. How does that sound? I do not believe you, man.
1: No one understands him. No one can stop him. And no one can get in between him and a good bargain on home furnishings. The Opportunist. This fall on TDPS Networks. Every crime scene is an opportunity for him.
0: And now here to add a dash of international flavor to tonight's dinner party show, please help me welcome Tanya Lee Musgrave, former CEO of Most Pleasant Journeys, formerly the top-rated travel agency in Allen, Texas, before travel agencies became a thing of the past. Good evening, Tanya Lee. So nice of you to join the dinner party show this evening.
2: Oh, well, that's fine. Okay,
0: now... I understand you and your husband spent about a week in one of Europe's most beloved cities, and you're here to share some exciting insider tips for people who might Uh, have a desire uh, to...
1: Sir, excuse me. Yes, Tanya? Uh, Mr. Donald Drummond is not my husband. I do not have a husband at this time. Now, Mr. Drummond is my neighbor, and we occasionally attend the movie show together. He's a widowed man. And his wife was a lovely woman with whom I used to mall walk. Now, Mm -hmm. last year, I hadn't seen him for a while, so I knocked on his door to make sure he hadn't died. And that is why we travel together today.
0: I see. Well, I'm glad we got that cleared up. Now, back to this amazing journey you and your companion just went on.
1: Oh, well, I don't know about all that, but what we did is we went to Spain.
0: All right. And did you travel all over the country, or did you just go to one city? Uh,
1: Well, we just went to Madrid. It's plenty big enough. Now, that's not the city where they have all the bulls. When we got there, we actually found out that the city with the bulls is another city. Pamplona. Sir?
0: I said I believe Pamplona is the city where they hold the running of the bulls.
1: Oh, well, I wouldn't know anything about that.
0: Well, okay. Uh, Tell us about your trip, please.
1: Well, what I can tell you, sir, is that it was a long flight. I mean, mm. we were on that plane for quite a long time. <laughs> oh, yes.
0: As I understand it, Madrid is a very long way away from Dallas. On another continent, in fact.
1: Wait, well if you've heard but you have to get to the airport three hours early for an international flight so they have time to keep terrorists from getting on your plane And I (laughs) mean thank God they have Starbucks in the airport now because I remember the day when you'd be lucky to get a Sparrow and a cup of coffee
0: (laughs) certainly a long journey indeed but one that ultimately brought you to. Oh you know
1: what else was nice is they had on the plane a little television screen in the back of the seat that you could watch movies on and I do mean it when I say I must have watched at least four movies And, and you You know, they were all about pretty young girls getting up to foolishness and worrying about stuff. And sometimes their friends were getting married or they weren't getting married or they were getting married to their friends. And, you know, I think that uh, pretty Goldie Hawn's daughter was in everyone. I do enjoy her. Now, I did like those movies very much. I sure
0: did. And when those movies were over, you found yourself in...
1: Well, we found ourselves needing a nap, is what we found, because that flight was so long. I mean, we got to...
0: um, Oh, Madrid.
1: Right there, and we just went right to sleep.
0: Did you ever wake up?
1: Well, see, what would happen is they do this thing in the afternoons called a siesta. Now, that is not to be confused with a fiesta, which usually has, like, enchiladas and a piñata. At
0: least.
1: Now, a siesta they have in the afternoons for about three hours because they do so much drinking at lunch. And Mr. (laughs) Drummond, he doesn't drink alcohol after what happened with the wood chipper, and I don't really care for myself unless it's a blended-type drink. Anyway, so we would go out to see the stores and the malls and such, and everyone would be sleeping.
0: So, uh... What would you do instead?
1: Well, we'd just go right back to sleep, too.
0: I see. And how long did this go on?
2: Well, it would usually take us about 15 minutes to get back to our hotel, five minutes to say goodbye to each other, and then another 10 minutes to get in my sleeping (laughs) garments. Tanya Lee,
0: I don't mean how long did it take you to get back in bed. I mean... Did you spend the whole trip in bed?
1: Uh, Sir, now, Mr. Drummond and I, we had separate rooms, and I resent any implication that anything (sighs) untoward happened in the course of our visit.
0: Tanya, what I meant was, did you spend the entire trip asleep?
1: Well, sir, I have something I gotta say. And it might not be easy for everyone to hear, but as my daddy Musgrave used to say, nobody likes a chicken that clucks in September when there's no rain. What? I was very disappointed in Spain. Now, I know they are in separate countries, but a few years back, I took a senior's cruise that stopped in Mexico, and there was just a lot more to buy. Now, I was hoping Spain would be the same way, but I promised almost all of the ladies that I lunch with a sombrero and maybe one of them ponchos like she wore on Ugly Betty, and I couldn't find a trace of one during the few hours of the day when everyone in Spain was actually awake. Call me old-fashioned, but I really feel like the Spanish could learn a few things from the Mexicans.
0: I'm not sure old-fashioned is what I'd go with there Uh, Tanya Lee, I, I don't mean to be rude, but I have to ask you Didn't you run a travel agency for many years? Yes, sir, I did did you ever go anywhere?
1: Oh, no. That was the whole point. See, everyone else went everywhere, and I got to stay put. Heck, where our office was, there was a Luby's on one side and a Black Eyed Pea on the other. I never even had to go anywhere for lunch.
0: Oh, I see. Uh, Tanya Lee, thank you. Thank uh you very much for joining us this evening and please give our thanks to Mr. Drummond as well. We hope he got over whatever happened with that wood chipper.
1: Oh, I'm not going to talk about that.
0: Yes, well, it's always interesting seeing the world through your eyes and your pajamas.
1: I'm not sure what you mean by that, sir. I'm
0: not surprised. Good night, Tanya Lee.
1: Good night now. Travel safe, y'all.
0: He's a domestic terrorist. The tree of liberty must be watered with the blood of She's a bitter
1: civil servant living on her past
0: glory. I can't process your request for blood or anything else until you've completed the proper paperwork. Together they solve crimes against humanity. Your bureaucracy is destroying the freedoms this country was founded on. Your violent rhetoric has no place in a free and equal society or this waiting room.
1: This fall on ABC,
0: it's The Devil and the DMV. You just want to register my car so you can track me. Why the hell would I want to know where you are? Besides, we'll make more on fining you for an expired license than we can make on registration. So make my day. Coming this fall to
1: ABC's Tough Talk Tuesdays, it's The Devil and the DMV. You're oppressing me.
0: You're holding up my line.
1: Well, Woodstock was 42 years ago, and a lot has changed since then. The U.S. was tied up in a pointless war for reasons that no one quite understood. Unemployment was high, the economy was slow, and the price of gasoline was on the rise. Come to think of it, maybe just the music was different. Anyway, here to offer us some perspective on where we've been and where we came from and maybe some insight on where we're headed, former guru of the summer of love,
0: Thunderhead Horizon. Okay, first off, I was not at Woodstock. Plenty of people were, so not as many as you'd think. It's, it's estimated that everyone was at Woodstock who said they were at Woodstock, there would have been well over a million people there. As it was, estimates, (laughs) and let's bear in mind who is making these estimates, run to a peak of around 400,000, and that's in the middle of the night on the Saturday. The crowd began to decline as soon as it started to get light, and folks could see what a shithole this place was. Anyway, you have to bear in mind that while it was a different time, we were still the same species. Uh, The main reason that we went to the concerts then and now was to get high and get laid. Just wait. In 40 years, people who weren't there will be talking about how the revolution started at the Lady Goo Goo concert or some crap. People always remember themselves as being the heroes of their own life. Like our parents. They have taken to calling themselves the greatest generation because look how great everything has turned out, right? Right. And those of us from the summer of love are the same asshole generation who brought you the Tea Party, the Christian right, and Sarah fucking Palin. The answer, my friend, is blowing out your ass. Despite all the principles we were supposed to have espoused, look at the record of the generation of peace and love. Since 1969, there has been U.S. military action in order of invasion in <clears throat> Cambodia, Oman, Laos, Chile, Cambodia, Angolia, Iran... Libya, El Salvador, Nicaragua, Lebanon, Grenada, Honduras, Iran, Libya, Bolivia, Iran, (gasps) Libya, the Virgin Islands, for Christ's sake, the Philippines, Panama, Liberia, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Kuwait, Iraq, Somalia, Yugoslavia, Bosnia, Haiti, (gasps) Zaire, Liberia, Albania, Sudan, Afghanistan, Iraq, Yugoslavia, Yemen, Macedonia, Afghanistan, Yemen, the Philippines, Colombia, Iraq yet again, Libya, Haiti, Pakistan, Somalia, Syria, Yemen, and Libya. And that's not including U.S. intervention in South Dakota and Los Angeles. We've cut education, denied health care to the poor and the mentally ill, abandoned veterans to live on the fucking street, cut Social Security and Medicaid benefits, refused to pay our taxes, and elected Ronald Reagan and both of the Bush boys. All we are saying, apparently, is give these a chance and then blow the shit out of it, sell it, or refuse to pay for it. Or maybe all three. So... The next time you feel like celebrating the anniversary of Woodstock or pine for the good old days of the 60s or 70s, just remember who it was who caused all the problems you're longing to escape from today. Such is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. You're welcome. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show's first annual Thanksgiving leftover special. Thank you for adding us to your Thanksgiving traditions. Like savoring favorite family recipes.
1: And revisiting old family feuds.
0: Ha! Missed me! Again!
1: The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice. And
0: Eric Shaw... Damn it! Christopher, that's going to leave a mark. That will remind us of this special dinner party show for years to come. Damn you holiday traditions.
3: In a time of war, in a faraway galaxy ruled by an amazingly complex and incomprehensible cosmology that will need at least six films to make itself clear, he has arrived.
1: Our world is dying. Our people are dying. You, stranger, are our only hope for salvation. Uh, yeah. Why is that? I don't even know how I got here.
3: He was a lone man, in amazing shape, but wholly unqualified to do anything besides look incredibly good with wind-blown hair. Who the hell are you people?
1: We are an amazingly good-looking, English-speaking alien race. And you will save us from extinction at the hands of an amazingly bad-looking alien race that wants our planet. Why do they want your planet? It's a shithole that looks suspiciously like New Mexico in some parts and Northern Africa in others. Our world is too complicated for you to understand so soon. Good, can I go home? No, you must save us.
3: On Earth, he was a gas station employee with a goals membership, a bad attitude, and a shrewish ex-wife who never would have walked out on someone as good looking as him if this weren't a movie. But on this strange, desolate planet of amazingly attractive people in taffeta bathing suits, he has been chosen, for no apparent reason, to lead a revolution against an impressive species of ugly aliens, all of whom have British accents.
0: Darling, strange being, I'll be late for Kuranda, and it's Farkles Day, so there's fresh cake. How did I get picked for this savior
1: gig? I-, I know nothing about this planet, or you people, or what the
0: hell I'm doing here. Arthur, we're going to be late. Till next time,
3: strange being.
1: Wait, that doesn't answer my...
3: Peter, you 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 have been chosen. chosen to be the one to save us for one reason, because your heart.
1: I just don't see how that qualifies me for this job. You're just like my father, who was killed in the first uprising against the ugly aliens with British accents. I'm not related to you, and I never met the guy. But he was hot, too.
3: Here, watch this hopeful flashback. He is hot. In a universe filled with the self-important myths and prophecies of unimportant people, all you really need to shape the fate of galaxies and fulfill those prophecies is to be really, really
1: hot. All right, let me get this straight. Even though the only things I know how to do are pump gas and make protein shakes, you want me to stay here on your shithole planet and learn how to fire this ridiculously complex laser gun and fly this hovercraft over thousands of miles of desert to save a bunch of grubby-looking orphan kids from a flesh-eating alien monster who sounds a lot like Angela Lansbury. And be my lover and rule as king. Lover? Ew, you're an alien. I'm an alien. Am I not beautiful? I think horses are beautiful, still. Do you not love me? I love my dog, but, but not in that way, you know? What about destiny? What about speciation? I'm willing to overlook that without even so much as a mention. Because you're hot.
3: This summer. Take a journey to a faraway galaxy that is as superficial and obvious as the one you come from and join with a wholly unqualified hero with an amazing v-shaped back and a perfectly sculpted jaw as he battles a planet full of trite clichés with his shirt off. Why? Because he's In a universe filled with the self-important myths and prophecies of unimportant people, All you really need to shape the fate of galaxies and fulfill those prophecies is to be really, really honored.
0: And now, in keeping with The Dinner Party Show's commitment to community enrichment, it's time for another in our ongoing series of public service announcements featuring the people who make The Dinner Party Show what it is. Best served warm.
2: Hi everyone, I'm Jordan Ampersand and this is Best Served Warm. Are you not hot? It's okay, other people are not hot too. And there are lots of things not hot people can do to make themselves feel better about themselves. Like getting a job as a lawyer who's not on television or living on the East Coast. But just remember, don't be mean to hot people just because you're not one of them. And if you're out on a date with someone who's hot, don't make fun of them just because they got confused about how evolution really works. That's not cool, and it doesn't make you hot, too. It just makes you bitter and old. So remember, there are lots of things not-hot people can do to contribute to the world, and being a smartass isn't one of them. I'm Jordan Amberzand and this was Best
0: Served Warm. Well... New York Magazine gets critic-at-large Frank Rich, and I get Jordan Ampersand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We'll
1: talk about it later. I think you can make more of an effort with him personally, but, you know, whatever. I think there's a
0: mentoring opportunity for you there. And I think you've made more of an effort for both of us there, Christopher. I resemble that implication. (laughs) Well, that's a wrap. I hope you've enjoyed this week's very special first annual Thanksgiving leftover special and all of the greatest hits from our whole two weeks of shows. Mm Mm-hmm. Did you have a good time, Christopher?
1: I did, I did. And I think what this show forced me to do is revisit and re-examine my feelings about the holiday season and my feelings about being inferior to your Christmas merriment. I think the more I... Remember greater Christmas villes from years past and the sprawling, twinkling little village under your tree. The happier I get, even though I think I have only purchased one Christmas tree for myself over the past 15 years.
0: Well, I've purchased enough for all of us. I you really. Yeah. <laughs> so you can just take part. And we hope that the show has helped bring the holiday spirit into your lives.
1: Yes, these generous, wonderful people you've been listening to for the past two hours, (laughs) us not included, I have to say. But we're going to be bringing you a lot more fun guests at the end of this year and into the new year. We're going to be joined by famed prosecutor turned critically acclaimed mystery novelist, Marcia Clark. She's going to be with us in a few weeks. Excellent. And the gorgeous model turned actor and activist, Mm. Ronnie Kroll, will be here. Can't wait. He's actually a former reality show contestant, so Eric will have to put his jokes about reality TV to rest for the 30 seconds that he's here at least. (laughs) But he's gone on to uh, start a project, the Friend Campaign, which is an anti-bullying campaign that is raising Um, funds for a movie, which he's going to be here to talk about. Excellent.
0: Good for him.
1: Yes. We'll also be joined by Edgar Award winning novelist Jan Burke, a close personal friend of mine who is a forensic science expert and will probably be here to talk about the wackiest and most disgusting murders that happened in the nation that month. And that weird chalk outline in the lobby. I don't know what Uh, that's That's a thing. No, I'll tell you about that later. Okay. It's It's a part of a new design scheme. I see. But most importantly, on next week's live cast, which will once again actually be live, we will be joined by hilarious comedian Alec Mappa. Hooray, excellent! And internet radio personality Tony Sweet. Oh who will God, be I here haven't seen Tony in ages. Absolutely, he is an internet radio pioneer, and he will be here to talk some about his new venture. Big inspiration for us. Absolutely, absolutely. And in January, it's too soon to tell, oh. but we're looking at a possibly very big guest on the Dinner Party oh. Show in January. Someone who, and this will be the only hint I give, has an
0: enormous Twitter following. Really? Yes. Mm, Well, we'll have to start figuring that. Maybe we can do like a blind item thing, and we can all start speculating about who our mystery guest is for January. Absolutely. Well, that should get the holidays up and running, and we hope this has been a good kickoff for all of you out there. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Absolutely. And thanks for joining us every weekend here at The Dinner Party Show. Our live cast is every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. And then you can subscribe to our podcast via iTunes at The Dinner Party Show page on iTunes. And, of course, during our live show every Sunday night, we interact with our listeners on Facebook. And the direct address of our Facebook page is facebook.com, obviously, backslash The Dinner Party Show. Um, oh, and Twitter. Let's not forget about Twitter. I'll you can follow us on Twitter. Twitter. Our handle on Twitter is at Dinner Party Show. And then, of course, you can follow us individually. You can catch up with Eric's semi-annual tweets, at right. Eric Shaw Quinn. And I'm at Chris Rice Writer. And I think that's about it for the enormous amount of information we need to impart at the end of every show. Well, we
0: hope that this has served to kick off your holiday season. Gobble, gobble, gobble. Our very first annual Thanksgiving leftover special here at the Dinner Party Show. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving, everyone.